0: Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. There's 900,000 million podcasts in the world, and for whatever reason, you clicked on this one, so we appreciate you listening. Our show's Side of Slaw. My name is Cole Williams, and the name Side of Slaw is a funny play on words for my name because in my Xbox careers dating back to 2008, my name has always been some variant of coleslaw. So we thought it was pretty clever. The show is going to be... A little bit of everything talk about sports fighting gaming lifestyle commentary the occasional rant about the state of the world and maybe some politics dribbled in there so once again thank you for listening i wasn't really sure how to start the first one because how do you start a podcast honest to god like there's an endless number of websites and youtube videos of people explaining the equipment to you and how to get things going but at the end of the day you actually need to figure out what you want to talk about and i'm usually not one to be at a loss for words but i thought i'd just dive in and talk about some uh different life experiences that i've had recently today is january 1 2021 finally got through the hellscape that was the year 2020 they say that 2020 everyone would to say hindsight's 2020 is that what they say Everybody in the beginning of last year was like, ha I've got 2020 vision. That was the meme, right? And if anybody actually had 2020 vision, that would have known that we were all in for a really, really, really bad year. <laughs> so I'm not even going to pretend like I can see in the future because God only knows what 2021 has in store. But we were watching the New Year's Eve shows last night, my family and I, as pretty much everybody does. And we watched the CNN or one of the cable news ones for like 10 minutes and just couldn't do it anymore because it's so unbelievably depressing to see Times Square where there's seven people holding signs and streamers and wearing sunglasses that are counting down. So we decided we were going to watch some old school New Year's Eve shows from like, we watched 1999 to 2000 we watched 2000 to 2001 and I think we might have watched a little bit of 2001-2002 but those are so much better it takes you back to a time before everything was just a mess pre-rona pre the the world ending it almost feels like judgment day like in terminator universe it's like before the bombs fell before skynet became self-aware but we talk about it with a pneumonia that kills 0.003% of people it comes in contact with so but it was so weird looking back at those older New Year's Eve shows and just seeing how different the world was I mean I'm I'm 23 so I was born in 97 so I don't really have a a great recollection of the early to mid 2000s just because I was a kid a lot more interested in what Tom Brady and the New England Patriots were doing or what the 2004 Detroit Pistons were doing, then I really cared about, I guess, cultural changes or societal things. But a couple of things I noticed. I actually noticed this next part too, because I was watching some Blue Mountain State reruns, but beauty standards shifted a ton. In the early to mid 2000s, and especially even through like the late 2000s going into the 2010s, all the hot girls and every show, music video, anything were all very tall, very thin, nobody had a big butt, and everybody had small perky boobs, and that's all that it really was. There was no room for for the thickness, with the big th in there. The only people that had any sort of thickness were the black girls, who were backup dancers to P. Diddy. Everybody else was like 85 pounds, and the men wore a lot of really weird stuff. Nobody was wearing anything that was Carhartt, which was just honestly kind of a relief, because I don't understand how that came to be cool. It was like one day, the only people that wore Carhartts were construction workers. And then the next day I'm walking around campus and East Lansing and every 19 year old girl has Carhartt plastered across her butt. And it just doesn't make sense. But you know, hey, maybe I'm just too old for that. Maybe I'm just an adult, I don't know. But yeah, so that was my New Year's Eve, delivering Uber Eats and watching Jay-Z rap Hard Knock Life in front of Carson Daly and it was a hell of a lot better than the reality that we currently exist in. I just I don't think that I'm alone in saying that it's just it's difficult to find like purpose I guess right now it feels just every day is like Groundhog's Day over and over again and it gets to the point where it's like what's the point anymore I feel like I've been waking up at noon for like a month and a half, ever since my restaurant got shut down in about the middle of November, it just, it's kind of like, what's the point, everything's online, everything's a Zoom call, all those things, and it's like, nothing's exciting, wake up, go to the gym, come home, find something to busy yourself with, that's essentially what my life's been for about seven or eight weeks, so... The only real thing that I've found purpose in, I I feel stupid saying purpose, entertainment in, joy in, something to do in, has been eating fast food, which is so stupid, but it's so true. It's like the best part of my day is deciding what kind of fast food I'm going to eat for the day. Then getting said fast food, not going home because I don't want to be home anymore, driving to just some parking lot somewhere and eating it and talking to myself while listening to like Michelle Branch, which is just awful but it is what it is it's my life 2020 has reserved me to being a crying grown man eating five layer burritos in my car singing everywhere so you know hopefully 2021's better but enough about my life let's get into some uh some sports talk as i said before today is january 1 2021 so, right now it is 4-13, so the Rose Bowl did just kick off, if I'm not mistaken. So, I guess we'll start there. Seems reasonable spot as any. Um, <laughs> with this game, obviously, Notre Dame comes in as like a 20-point dog. And though the massive fan base of Notre Dame football, I'm sure, finds that to be disrespectful, if anything, I think that the odds makers in Vegas are doing them a bit of a favor. Because this this Bama team with Mac Jones and Devonta Smith and Najee Harris are just I don't think there's anybody in the country that's gonna stop them from hanging fifty. And though Bama's defense this year is not as dominant as it has been, I would be surprised if Notre Dame scored thirty. I'd be and Ian Books a player. I mean he really is. He can he can play and they had that big game against Clemson in the regular season where they were able to, was it, 40? I think they scored 40-something in, like, triple overtime. But Nick Saban's got, what, nine weeks of film this season alone on Ian Book. He's got two or three full seasons worth of film on Ian Book. And I think that they're going to really, really struggle to move the ball on Alabama. And not that you can really put any more bets on this game because it's going right now, but I think that the 20-point... Uh, spread is, like, low. I think that, I think is going to win this game by 30-plus. I think it's going to be a massacre. And in large part, it's because there's really, in my opinion, only three football teams in college football that are worth talking about or worth mentioning for, like, the last five to six years, with some outliers, but really the only teams that have consistently a stake in the college football playoff and actually can win it all are Bama, Clemson, and Ohio State. And everybody else is just like a good team. Some people might say Oklahoma, and Oklahoma just went out and smacked Florida, even though Florida had a ton of people out with COVID and probably had a little bit of a hangover from losing to Bama in the way that they did in a close game. But there's just, it's not the same. I mean, prime example, Ohio State and the Big Ten. I think there's like 20 five-star recruits in the Big Ten right now, and Ohio State has 14 of them. I mean, it's just – it's like going to war against opponents that have Abrams tanks and you have 9mm handguns. It's just like it ain't the same. It doesn't mean that you can't pull off a win. You know, Ohio State seems to find a way about once a year to lose to a team that they shouldn't in a fashion that they shouldn't. They like to go to Iowa, and they like to lose those games – occasionally they like to dump a game to like Illinois or Indiana but if they played their opponents a hundred times most of their opponents they're going to beat 98 99 times out of 100 and it's just because they just have too much NFL talent and you can say the same thing for Clemson Clemson's in the ACC I don't know the exact numbers on the recruits that they have as far as the caliber of players in comparison to the rest of the ACC but They pretty much smoke everybody. Sometimes they sleep on teams and they get beat. Just like I said about Ohio State, sometimes they kind of have a bad day and they don't show up. But in general, they mop the floor with everybody in the conference. And you saw that in the conference championship game against Notre Dame, who everybody spoke very highly of. Understandably so, because they've been playing well all season. But they let off the gas in the fourth quarter when they were up 34-7 with Trevor Lawrence, who everybody pretty much unanimously has decided is the next Joe Montana. So it's just not it's like those three teams and then everybody else. Everybody else is essentially just trying to get in that fourth spot so they can get blown out by the first seed of those three teams. Which this year it just so happens that Notre Dame has to be on that chopping block and has to get just butchered in front of the world as they talk about Newt Rockney and, you know, winning more games than anybody else in history because they've been playing football since seventeen forty seven not to dig too deep into the Catholic brethren of college football. But yeah, long story short, especially in bowl games and big moments, don't bet against Nick Saban. Don't bet against <laughs> don't bet against the Alabama Crimson Tide. And then I guess we can roll now into the Sugar Bowl tonight, which I do think is going to be a lot more interesting than people give credit for. I do think that When push comes to shove, I think Clemson's going to win this game. But I think that Ohio State's going to make it a much better game than a lot of people are giving credit for. The line pretty much across the board is about seven points. It's like a minus seven for Clemson. And I think that's fair. I think that's pretty reasonable. I think it's going to be more of a one-possession game coming down, and I think whoever has the ball last is going to win the game. Because, you know, Ohio State's gotten all this hate – understandably so that they haven't really for one they haven't really played anybody in the Big Ten the Big Ten was relatively weak this year they did beat Indiana and they beat Northwestern who are good teams not elite teams they only played I think including the championship game seven games the Big Ten changed the rules so Ohio State could represent the conference and you know essentially get the conference the notoriety that the commissioners and the boosters think that it deserves to play in the playoff But like I said earlier, they have tons of firepower. There are probably double-digit players on, you know, combined on the offense and defense that are at some point in time going to be playing on Sundays. So you can't count that much talent out, that much firepower. It's just, you know, Justin Fields is a little bit banged up. He hurt his thumb in the Big Ten Championship game, so that's going to be a big deal is understanding How compromises his throwing hand? How is he going to be able to push the ball down the field? Because if they can't really challenge Clemson vertically and it becomes a, we're going to run the ball 45, 50 times, I think that Ohio State's going to really struggle because it just makes you one dimensional. You can't be a one dimensional team playing against top tier competition. Even, like, I don't care how good you are, I don't care how dominant you are. You know, you go to the NFL and you look at Tennessee. They've got Derrick Henry, and they feed him the ball 30-something times a game. But, you know, they could score points, but it turns into when they play those top-tier offenses like, like Kansas City, when they play, I don't know, I guess you could consider Green Bay this year to be a top-tier offense, New Orleans, teams that can really move the ball and really score points. It's just they can't quite do it enough. Like their entire thing, which I love. I'm an old-school football guy. I really enjoy watching Smash Mouth football games three yards in a cloud of dust type of stuff. But when teams can just anticipate what you're doing, they don't – there's no guesswork. It's just, okay, gap discipline, maintain the A-gaps, try to stretch them to the outside, safeties make a play at the sideline, and you just do that over and over and over and over again. And so unless your offensive line can consistently win the battle up front over and over and over and over again, and you can eat clock, and you can keep guys like Trevor Lawrence on the sideline, it's just – it ain't going to be pretty. Like, it's, it's not going to go well. So, yeah, long story short, I think that this game ends up coming down to really who has the ball last. I think that Justin Fields is going to play well. Um, you know, Ohio State has a number of backs that are big, impressive, five-star recruits that are definitely worth mentioning. Um, I think that often enough, the Big Ten doesn't get a ton of attention, especially in this year given how late the season start was for them and that's, you know, Michigan had a down year. Wisconsin ended up being 3-3, three and three. MSU was in a total rebuild. Uh, Minnesota took a step back from a lot of where a lot of people thought they were going to be with P.J. Fleck. So it kind of flew under the radar, but you can't sleep on the Buckeyes ever. I mean, even when they're in a down year, they're dangerous, they're lethal. But I'm going to say Clemson has the ball last. They kick a field goal with a couple seconds left and they win. And that's you know, Trevor Lawrence. I really do believe is the next great NFL quarterback. I think he's akin to John Elway, Joe Montana, ask guys. I mean, he, I mean, everything about the dude just reeks like greatness. I mean, he's got like the the long, flowing blonde hair, circa sunshine. And remember the Titans. He like literally never seems to be phased by any situation can run the ball, can throw the ball. He's like Andrew Luck with a better arm, is really what it looks like, which that's scary if you're anybody in college football or if you're not the Jacksonville Jaguars because the New York Jets decided that instead of going 0-16 and getting the next Joe Montana that they should go 2-14 and pick up, I don't know, an offensive lineman from someplace because that is what the Jets like to do. Anywho, anywho, yeah, I just – and I think today is going to, once again, as I said, I think that Notre Dame is going to get placed on the operating room table and they're going to get dismembered. And I think that it really should highlight to, hopefully, Notre Dame fans that you just aren't there. Brian Kelly's a very good coach. Ian Book can play. You're going to beat Duke. You're going to beat Navy. You're going to beat UConn. You're going to beat – Virginia, all those schools. The gold helmets are very pretty. There's lots of tradition. Touchdown Jesus is awesome. The stadium's cool. There's, you know, movies have been made about Notre Dame football. It's it's an American staple. But with that said, it's not Alabama. It's not Clemson. It's not Ohio State. It's not Oklahoma. It's not LSU even though LSU's obviously in a slump this year. It's just a regional power in the Midwest. If this were 60 years ago, it'd be a different ballgame. But they don't recruit on the same level or develop on the same level as the behemoths of the sport. And really, that's what the game comes down to. There are plenty of programs that get significant recruits i mean florida recruits very well georgia recruits very well but they don't develop and game plan on the same level that sabin or Dabo sweeney do you can get dudes that are built like apollo that you know run four threes that jump out of the gym that are mean animals that want to rip people's faces off every time they step on the football field but if you can't harness and develop them into the system that you run or, for that matter, into the system that needs to be run, given what you have on the field, and you can't game plan on the same level and win the X's and O's chess match against a guy like Nick Saban, who probably is the best college football coach of all time, I think that when it's all said and done, he will be regarded as that, then it just sucks. It's akin to Alexander Gustafson, in my opinion, in the lightweight division, or excuse me, the light heavyweight division of the UFC. dude's an animal. He's... A 21st century Viking, great footwork, very good striking, can grapple, fights extremely well. He just happened to exist in an era where Daniel Cormier and John Jones were also in the light heavyweight division. It's kind of like sucks, just bad timing. If he were who he is in 2004, he'd be the light heavyweight champion of the world. If he were there in his athletic prime now there's a pretty good chance he would be too. But he wasn't, and that's just kind of how it is. That's the nature of the game. Notre Dame is in a unique spot where you play in South Bend, Indiana. It's not a super hot spot destination for recruits to go. There's history there. It's a very nice school. It's a very good school. But at the same time, when you are an elite academic institution, which I think you can classify Notre Dame as, it's difficult to get the traditional – jock who probably is not the best student who's the number one recruit in the nation to go to what could arguably be considered an ivy league school now he can go to tuscaloosa where it's not 17 degrees for half your season where they can probably get you some nice young gentleman with glasses to help you do your homework where you can take Classes that aren't technically college classes, but can get you a GPA that's above a 2.0, and you can play. And I think the same thing can be said very much so for Michigan football. Michigan football and Notre Dame football, to me, are essentially like brother schools. Tons of tradition, winged helmets, golden helmets, tons of wins, tons of championships, but as of the last two decades, not much. Don't have a whole lot going on. And it's a tough sell because again university of michigan is literally i mean at least they call themselves the harvard of the midwest it's super cold i live in michigan it's not fun playing in the snow i would much rather play in gainesville in december than i would play in ann arbor it ain't great Just playing snow football can be kind of fun but it ain't spectacular it's not fun waking up in the morning. Going, starting your car, brushing all the snow off, freezing your tail off, and then sitting in your car and screaming to try to warm yourself up on your way to class. Done that a few times. Not awesome. It's not fun walking across the quad in a snowsuit at .75 miles an hour trying not to slip on the ice on the sidewalk. Ain't great. It's not fun not being around any beaches or at least being, I don't know, in the desert seeing cactuses go to... Arizona State, something like that. The girls are a little wild out there. Going to USC, have the beaches. They got lax marijuana laws out there. Pretty much anything goes. Concerts, the Lakers. It's not a great sell. And I think what comes with that for both of those schools is they tend to operate under this assumption with as much pride and tradition as they have, which they have tons of it, and understandably so, that they... Are on a similar level to the schools that we're talking about. And they just aren't. The Jim Harbaugh situation beautifully highlights that to me. It's Michigan football wants him to come in, and I get it. They want him to come in and they want him to consistently compete. And well, I shouldn't even say that. They want him to consistently win the Big Ten championship, which involves getting out of the Big Ten East, which involves beating Ohio State, beating Penn State, beating Michigan State. And it's really hard to do that because it's one of the toughest divisions in Division One college football. And with that said, your arch rival that you have to beat or your entire job is centered around it because it's a big deal to your fan base and to your boosters is beating Ohio State. And it just so turns out that they're one of the three prongs of the college football trident that are really, 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 really tough to beat because, as I said before, there are 25-star recruits in the Big Ten. And 14 of them hang out in Columbus. And until two seasons ago, not only was that the case, but they also had Urban Meyer, who is probably, arguably, top three college football coach of all time. Like, you know, like, what are you going to do? It just sucks. It just sucks. That's like, that's like growing up in the same neighborhood as Cristiano Ronaldo and you're a really good soccer player, but it turns out that he's always on the team and he's always scoring the goals. Like, you know, hey, would have been sweet to be born in a different town, but it just is what it is. It just is what it is. So I think that this season, given Michigan's two and four record, and who knows whether or not they'll be able to successfully negotiate the deal with Jim Harbaugh, because I do think that they should keep him, even though, you know, I'm a Michigan State student soon to be alum and I thoroughly thoroughly enjoy Michigan football losing to anybody. A lot of people play the game where it's like, well, I you know, I root for I root for Michigan every game except when they're playing state. I'm like, nope. I'm like they could be playing Satan and I would root for Satan to beat Michigan football. I hate them that much. I grew up in the era where Michigan State football was terrible. And would get beat up on by michigan and every team that wasn't like purdue maybe minnesota when they were really bad like those would be competitive games and they would beat eastern michigan and lose a close one to notre dame i grew up that was my introduction to college football the lloyd carr days of michigan the mike hart days chad henney all those guys and so i thoroughly thoroughly enjoy watching them eat the cat of nine tails on national television every Saturday. And so with that said, those are my feelings. But at the same time, I acknowledge the fact that Jim Harbaugh is a very good coach. Is he Urban Meyer? Nope. Is he Debo Sweeney? Nope. Is he Nick Saban? No. Nope. But unless you're going to start taking a chance and you're going to start really actively searching for new blood, for new coordinators, for play callers, young up-and-coming guys, you know, PJ Fleck-esque dudes who want to shift the culture that bring all this energy, new ideas, things like that, I, I don't see a reason to not try to keep Harbaugh around. Because Jim Harbaugh is going to get you to 9 to 10 win seasons. You're going to play on New Year's Day Bowls. You're going to you know, probably win more games than you lose playing against State. You're going to be competitive against Penn State, Wisconsin. You're going to you know, have some dogfights with Iowa when you go to Kinnick. Maybe occasionally you catch Ohio State on a down year or they just play poorly and you can get a win or you play out of your minds and you can get a win, something like that. But unless Ryan Day runs Urban Meyer's program into the ground and it reverts back to, I don't even know if a Jim Trestle comparison is the right you know, line to draw to that because Jim Trestle had a lot of success. But unless it really reverts back to, let's say, post-Woody Hayes, Ohio State, that had its struggles, where they don't recruit as well anymore because they aren't consistently being a powerhouse that's going to the playoff, that's playing in the Rose Bowl, Orange Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, Cotton Bowl, that aren't playing on national television, that aren't getting the notoriety that big-time recruits want because that's how you get to the NFL, then I think that Ohio State is going to keep just backhanding Michigan every year. And so as a Michigan fan, you can either come to terms with the idea that this just is what it is, and it's not really a rivalry anymore, because since the turn of the century, you're 3-17 and 17 against Ohio State, and you haven't won the conference since 2004, 2005, you either do that, or you keep putting on this idea that you are an elite football program who deserves to be mentioned in the same breath as the teams I've been talking about, the Bama's, the Clemson's, the Ohio State's, the Oklahoma's of the world. You can just keep living these delusions of grandeur. Or you can acknowledge we are regional powerhouses in the Midwest. We do very well here. We win 9 or 10 games. We go to real bowl games. We make good money. We have, you know, the swoosh on our jersey, the, the jump man, whatever. People respect us. They don't, you know, fear us like we have red jerseys with white numbers on our helmets, but we're pretty good. You can either do that or you can just live a life of denial forever, which I think it's hard. It's, it's hard for you to wake up one morning after a lifetime of, of believing, of probably, you know, growing up in a, in a Michigan family or in a, a Catholic Notre Dame family And, you know, probably going to the games on Saturdays or watching the games on Saturdays, having your jersey, painting your chest, whatever. And then to just come to terms with, okay, we aren't what I thought we were. I'm not going to play this game anymore. And I'm going to just settle for being pretty good and understand that greatness just kind of isn't for everybody. And as a Michigan booster, you can play the Jim Harbaugh game and you can realize, okay, He's a very good coach. He's had success everywhere he's been, but we're not going to own college football with him at the helm. Or you can fire him and you can keep playing the same game you've been playing for about, I mean, one was Lloyd Carr's last year, 2007, 2008. I think it was 2008 was last year, Lloyd Carr. And you can decide we are going to try to hire anyone who has ever been more than six feet away from Lloyd Carr. Anybody that shook his hand at a luncheon, Anybody that went to high school with him, anybody who has any sort of connection to him or the Michigan program, because our entire thing is we have to find a quote, Michigan man, because you have to like that for whatever reason. That's just the thing. Bo Shambeckler, I don't even think was a Michigan man. I think he's from Ohio, but like Bo Shambeckler is the mold and from the mold of Bo Shambeckler, Lloyd Carr kind of came from that. And then they were trying to tie everything back to him. And it's like, let it go. Bo Schenbleckler was a very good coach. He had a lot of success in the 90s. Charles Woodson, winning the Heisman, doing great. But it's not 1997. Trust me, I know. It's not 1997 anymore. <laughs> so you can either do what Oklahoma did, and you can try to shift towards finding like a, a young assistant Lincoln Riley type guy where you they actually are competitive. I would argue, again, still not on the same level at least yet, in large part, I think, because the Big 12 is just a weak conference, and I think that it's more appealing to play in the SEC. But you can do the Lincoln-Riley thing where they, though they're not going to consistently beat the big-name teams, they score a ton of points. They throw the ball over the field. I mean, the last, was it, like three of the last five Heisman Trophy winners have been Oklahoma quarterbacks? You got Kyler, Baker, who who was before that? I'm drawing a blank. But you had these dudes that are just throwing 55 touchdowns a year. Points, 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 points. Air raid, going nuts. And it's a hell of a lot better than, you know, trying to run the ball effectively against Iowa on November 28th when it's 8 degrees outside and you can't, and then you're losing 12 to 10 games on last-minute field goals. And then you're like, oh, I guess we're 9-1 and one now and we can't go to the college football playoff. It's a hell of a lot better than that. So I think that this needs to be the year for some of these supposed traditional powers to either scrap some of their tradition and their ways of thinking about things and try to adapt into football in 2021 or to become content with what they've had in the past and just kind of gradually shift their identity, kind of like Nebraska football has done. Nebraska used to be insane. Nebraska football used to be a huge deal, and after about mm, mm, pushing a decade or so of like mediocrity to pitiful play, suddenly Nebraska football, you don't really hear a ton about it, not only because it's in Nebraska, but because I think their fan base is like, yeah, we would love to be where we were, but we're not right now. And they're realistic about it. So, yeah. 2021 New Year's resolution for me is to not have to hear anymore about how uber competitive Michigan football and Notre Dame football anymore because they're good, but not great. 2021, revenge tour, good, not great. That's what I say. Now, I want to transition to some fighting news, too. Primarily MMA. Um, I'll be honest with everybody. I'm not a big boxing expert. I mean, I know a lot of the big names. I know Earl Spence and Terrence Crawford and Canelo and, you know, the heavyweights, AJ and Tyson Fury and those guys. But I'm not going to pretend to sit here and play this game where, like, I know a ton about boxing because I don't. I'm not a fighter. Never been a fighter. I do enjoy watching it. But it's more difficult for me to pirate Zone streams as opposed to uh, pirating. Actually, I don't even have to pirate anymore. I mooch off somebody else's ESPN Plus account, and I'm able to watch a lot of the, the fight nights and stuff. But I do watch a lot more MMA. I do, I'm much more familiar with the names on the UFC roster. I've watched almost all the big names fight their most prominent fights, and a lot of the guys in the up-and-coming too. So... Today, uh, two of the biggest headlines that I pulled from the news are one, John Jones makes a comment to MMA News talking about how he is staying at heavyweight permanently because there is nothing for him anymore at the light heavyweight division. Now, this is true in my opinion, but I think that it also is definitely a guise. It's it's a, a finger poke at stylebender because obviously that's if there are three fights that I think UFC fans would love to see Dana make in 2021, it would be the Connor Khabib rematch, which I think is, we'll get to that a little bit later, Colby and Jorge, because that's, you know, the brothers, former roommates, training partners turned enemies of beef. But number one, at least for me, would be the stylebender John Jones fight at Raider Stadium like Izzy said, in front of 80,000 people in Vegas. Because that would be, for me, potentially the biggest fight in the history of the company. Not only because of both of their respected dominance and the fact that they don't like each other, but Stylebender is... From what I can tell, one of the most beloved athletes in the sport, and understandably so I mean he's he's a, a cool, confident guy. A lot of fighters put on this persona where they pretend to be cool and confident, but for him it's not. Like when he fought Paula Costa, there were a lot of more recreational fans to the sport who looked at Costa and he's you know, he's like six two, walks around at like two thirty. Dude's yoked. I mean, absolutely yoked. He's a Brazilian Hulk. And they're like, oh, there's this kind of tall, skinny Nigerian guy who supposedly is really good, but he ain't the Brazilian Hulk and not like the soccer player. I know there's a soccer player named Hulk in Brazil. But the actual Hulk, the one that can, like, smash your face in and and strangle you to death. And Stylebender, the whole time, as he has in every single major fight that I've watched him fight in, I mean, from uh, Romero, Whitaker, Kelvin Gastelum, all those guys, essentially accurately called his shot. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to walk through and I'm going to smash him and I'm going to blah, 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 but whatever. It was like he actually just calmly explained to people how he was going to win the fight, and he did it. He did it over and over again. And there's something so appealing about that because it doesn't come off as being arrogant. It's just him. It's almost like prophesizing. It was like when Conor was on the come up and Conor was setting the world on fire, it was the Mystic Max stuff. It was the everybody goes to sleep with the left. It was first-round knockouts. And it was he was saying what he was going to do and doing it consistently and in an exciting, thrilling fashion. And Adesanya does the same thing. And on the contrary to that, John Jones, who I think at one point in time was kind of the golden boy of the sport, he was, for a lot of people, up until the PED stuff, was kind of regarded as potentially the greatest of all time because he went in... He was the youngest champion ever, was just annihilating people, was probably the best pure athlete the company had ever seen. He went in as, what, a 22-year-old, whatever he was, a dude in his early 20s, cleaned out the old guard of the light heavyweight division, took care of the Otomo Machitas, the Rashad Evans, Rampage Jacksons, all those guys, won the belt for himself, and then cleaned out everybody in his era. Just like... Not to say without controversy with the PED use and, you know, the different no contests with DC, but he was an animal. He was a one-man wrecking crew. And not only was he winning, but with a lot of those fights were finishes. I mean, when he choked out Leota Machida against the cage and totally choked him unconscious and then let him go and he just lifelessly falls to the ground. Like that's, you don't see that shit. You don't see that (laughs) That's just not a, a thing that professional athletes at a high level in MMA like consistently do to each other. Especially a guy like Lyoto Machida, who is an animal. I mean, Lyoto Machida is regarded as one of the greats. He's probably going to be a Hall of Famer. But then there's all the controversy around John with the PEDs, with the hitting a pregnant woman, and running back for the drugs, with the drunk driving, and 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 him kind of trying to walk this line between. Like, I'm a a man of God, but also I'm the bad guy, but also I'm, you know, the golden boy, the sporter. Like, it's like he doesn't really know who he wants to be, and it always comes off as being extremely disingenuous. So, to me at least, in my opinion, it comes off as being the very genuine, young, exciting champion who's kind of changing the sport and changing the way that people view mixed martial arts against the former great who has kind of morphed into like the villain of the story it's like it's almost a harvey dent kind of thing in the early days john jones was the young d a of gotham city who everybody wanted to be and admired and thought was the the bright future and then he gets some gasoline thrown on his face and it's lit on fire and then he is half zombie half man and he's evil and twisted and demented and you don't really know who to expect. So, though I think John is right in that him fighting Reyes doesn't do anything for him. Him fighting Jan doesn't do anything for him. I mean, I guess he could maybe fight, I don't even know, ozdemir He could fight, uh, I'm trying to think, who's the new kid that came in the division who fought Ozdemir and beat him? That dude actually was a stud, and I can't think of his name right now. But I watched that fight against Osdemir and he was extremely impressive. So maybe one day that would be something that would be worth seeing. But it's just, it's guys that he's already beaten and, you know, guys that are in like their 40s that are on the edge of retirement. So you're right. There is no one for him in the division that's even remotely exciting. Everything is at heavyweight. But him making these comments, in my opinion, is just him poking the style bender bear. It's just to keep prodding that. Because... This article came out today. I would be amazed if within the next 24 hours, you don't see stuff from Stylebender talk about how John doesn't want any business after he beats Jan Blachowicz for the lightweight belt. So, it's going to build hype. And I think it's ultimately going to culminate in the two of them fight. I think that John is going to beat whoever the winner of Francis and Stipe is, who... I guess we can save that breakdown for another show. But... I think that John ultimately is going to win the heavyweight belt, and then he's going to go back down to try to get his belt back from Stylebender, and I think that that Clash of the Titans is going to be potentially the biggest fight in the history of MMA, which is enormous. And then, the other fight that I think everyone really, really wants to see is the Conor-Khabib rematch. Because how couldn't you? After what they did in 2018, and the build-up to that fight, and throwing the dolly against the bus, and... Just the, the the brawl after the fight and the Dylan Danis drama and everything. <laughs> I mean, it, it's like it, it needs to be it needs to happen again. And Kabib's manager, um I'm trying I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. Give me a second. Oh yeah. Um Ali Abdelaziz. that's his name. Yep, Ali Abdelaziz. He he says quote About the Conor McGregor, about the Conor rematch. "Quote: We don't really care about him." Now that is obviously absurd. Khabib is an extremely principled man, to say the least. He is a devout Muslim. He is an extreme man of principle. It's all about respect. Uh, You know, you can see the respect that he held for Gaethje and for Poirier kind of doesn't really respect Tony Ferguson, I can see, um, due to all the trash talk that went on between the two of them. Um, Definitely does not like Conor for the comments that Conor has made about his family and his religion, and, and, I mean, what hasn't Conor talked about, I guess. But I think that Khabib sits atop a mountain of money, and I think that there probably isn't really an amount of money that Dana or the UFC could lure him back into a fight with Conor unless he chooses to do it of his own volition. Now, he said that he's done, but as of the last week or two, we've started to hear the rumblings talking about, you know, he hasn't been stripped of the belt yet. Dana is very insistent that he's not retired, and Khabib, it seems like, has kind of been loosening up a little bit too talking about how like well Dana doesn't want me to stay retired like you know I'm paraphrasing but that that kind of stuff and so I think that it's very difficult for anybody let alone great champions to walk away while they still have a significant amount left in the tank which I think that everybody agrees that Khabib has plenty left in the tank because you know greatness is borderline impossible to achieve and so for you to walk away while there's still plenty left in your bowl it's tough but for for abdelaziz to make comments that they're not interested in connor is insane i think that i would be very surprised if connor didn't beat dustin poirier in a couple weeks here and i think that everything in the mma world as far as what dana white controls and what connor controls is going to entirely entirely shift to connor khabib too because it has to i mean it that's I was talking about how Stylebender and John would be potentially the biggest fight of all time. Conor-Khabib rematch would sell a billion pay-per-views. Obviously, that's, you know, I'm exaggerating, but it would be... I don't think it's out of line to say it would be the biggest MMA fight of all time. The international appeal that both of those guys bring in... I mean, I go to Buffalo Wild Wings to watch Khabib fights in Lansing, Michigan, and there are like 50 college dudes who know very little about MMA who are screaming for Khabib to win. And that's in Lansing, Michigan. I can only imagine what it is anywhere in the Middle East or in North Africa or in Russia or like anywhere where there is access to pay-per-view. I'm sure that those people are putting in whatever money they have to pay for that. And are going nuts watching him strangle people left and right, let alone the Irish guy that's trash talking your religion and your champion. I mean, Khabib has to be the <laughs> Eastern European Rocky. Like, they're, they're, I just don't see how it can be any different. He has to be essentially like the hero of that region of the world. And Connor obviously has the draw of all of Ireland everybody in the states that is an mma fighter or an mma fan excuse me loves watching that dude fight because he's a knockout artist and a trash talker i mean that thing i think the first ufc fight or excuse me the first fight that they had let me look up the pay-per-view on that because i want to say it was over two million i want to say it might set the record but i don't want to misspeak let me see here okay yeah 2.4 million pay-per-view guys and now that was again Connor draws in a lot of that, but there's also, like I said, a ton of international appeal that they both bring. But Khabib brings on a similar level to Connor, they're the two biggest pay per view stars in the sport, potentially in all of combat sports. And now, this is post all the trash talk, post Connor losing, post a giant brawl, and the build up to the second fight would be enormous. It would be worth so much money. And you could also do it in Abu Dhabi. Imagine those two dudes fighting in Abu Dhabi. Now, you would probably want to wait until you could pack an arena to do it properly. Because that would just completely change the environment of the fight. But also, I would kind of love to hear the trash talk going on between them without crowd noise. Because that would be pretty insane listening to Khabib say, let's talk now. While he's smashing him on top of him. But... (laughs) It, it needs to happen. It, it needs to happen. And I think that obviously this article where abilities is talking about how like, well, we don't really care. Like, oh, what? You don't want $100 million, Mr. Agent of the guy who's going to make all that money and you get a percentage of it? Like, oh, I respect Khabib and I don't really try to push him. Okay. Everybody's agent in the world in any sort of entertainment, sports, whatever, is going to push them to do the thing that makes the most money because that's how agents get paid. It's pretty science. So, again, I think this is pretty see-through. And I hope to God, I hope to God, please, 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 <laughs> let Conor McGregor beat Dustin Poirier and make this fight happen in, like, July. In Abu Dhabi, in front of a bunch of Saudi princes. And also, I really want to hear what they're saying to each other in the octagon that's about it that's about it so I think that'll wrap up the uh first edition here um thank you to everybody for listening I appreciate it I think I'm gonna try to upload um definitely at least once a week maybe twice a week we'll see how it goes we gotta iron some things out Jackson my brother and wonderful sound editor who's tolerating me talking about subjects that he doesn't really care about and being of great help So, uh, yeah, keep your eyes out for uh, different social media um, accounts. If you can follow us on Instagram, that would be fantastic. We're going to get some clips up and going uh, as soon as we can essentially afford a camera, which is uh, hopefully going to be soon. Um, Tell your friends. Tell them about uh, our little gang that we're getting going on here once again. Side of Slaw. I'm your host, Cole Williams, and uh, appreciate you stopping by. Deuces, everybody.